I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Is it possible to get health benefits from chocolate without the sugar, fat, and calories? Cocoflavanols to the rescue. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Harvard scientists conducted a huge randomized placebo-controlled study of cocoflavanols and multivitamins. What did they learn from the COSMOS trial? Dr. Joanne Manson is one of the most respected epidemiologists in the world. She and her colleagues have studied dietary supplements with rigor. She'll share what she has learned about cocoflavanols. We'll find out why ancient civilizations were so excited about cacao and what it can do for you. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, Cocoa Compounds and the Cosmos Trial. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. An analysis published in the BMJ demonstrates long-range transmission of the coronavirus over more than six feet is common indoors. The 18 studies covered COVID outbreaks in various community settings between 2020 and 2022. These included singing events, a fitness facility, restaurants, buses, a courtroom, a food processing factory, apartment buildings, and quarantine hotels. Individuals identified as the source of the infection were often asymptomatic or presymptomatic. The epidemiologists identified several factors associated with transmission. Chief among them was inadequate air replacement or inappropriate airflow direction. They conclude, these results support the role of mitigation measures in indoor settings, such as adequate ventilation. An accompanying editorial declares, now indeed is the time for an indoor air revolution. Long-lasting symptoms of COVID-19 are common and have been puzzling doctors for quite some time. While other viral infections occasionally trigger lingering health problems, these appear to be far more common with covid No one knows quite why people develop long COVID, but now researchers suggest that the virus may persist in hidden pockets within the body. Harvard scientists recently announced that they have found proteins from the SARS-CoV-2 virus in many patients' blood as long as a year after the first diagnosis. The spike proteins they identified don't last that long in blood, indicating that the body harbors active virus shedding bits and pieces. About 65% of those with long COVID had such proteins in their blood, while people with no persistent symptoms did not have evidence of viral proteins. Other scientists have found evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 virus may linger in the digestive tract. Researchers are investigating the possibility that Antiviral treatments might help eliminate any residual virus and help clear symptoms of long COVID. Scientists have been concerned that COVID-19 could predispose older individuals to dementia. Now, an epidemiological study has shown that Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and stroke are indeed more common among those who were infected with SARS-CoV-2. 
the researchers utilized medical records in a database covering about half of Denmark's population between February 2020 and November 2021. More than 900,000 people took a COVID-19 test administered by the healthcare system. More than 40,000 of them tested positive. After a one-year follow-up period, people who had infections were about three times more likely to get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Parkinson was more than twice as common among previous COVID patients, and so was stroke. However, people who'd had bacterial pneumonia or influenza were also at higher risk for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's symptoms than people who had escaped infection. Other investigators have approached the question of infection and its link with dementia from a different angle. They examined a large database of de-identified insurance claims representing more than 2 million people over the age of 65. After dividing the data into matched pairs of people who did or did not get their flu vaccines and following up for nearly four years, the researchers found that vaccinated individuals were less likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The incidence was 5.1% among the vaccinated and 8.5% among those who had not gotten their shots. That's an absolute risk reduction of over 3%, with a relative risk reduction of around 40%. Sepsis is a life-threatening condition often triggered by infection. The immune system begins to attack the body's organs. Abnormal blood clotting and organ failure can make treatment especially challenging. A few years of preliminary reports suggested that intravenous vitamin C might be helpful against sepsis. A new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine tested that approach. 872 patients were randomized to receive either vitamin C or placebo. Unfortunately, those receiving the vitamin C treatment were more likely to die or develop organ dysfunction by the end of the month than those on placebo. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Cacao, the raw ingredient for cocoa and chocolate, has been valued for thousands of years. According to archaeologists, the ancient Olmecs and Mayans of Mesoamerica prized cacao and consumed it as a spicy beverage. Cacao beans were even used the way we use money. Compounds from cacao have been studied for their health benefits. Cocoflavanols have been shown to relax blood vessels and lower blood pressure. In addition, these plant-based polyphenols help prevent blood clots, improve blood flow, and protect the body from oxidative damage. Harvard researchers recently concluded a large randomized controlled study of cocoflavanols in combination with multivitamins. The COSMOS trial was designed to determine if cocoa compounds have long-term cardiovascular benefits. To learn more about the trial and its results, we turn now to Dr. Joanne Manson. She's the principal investigator of the COSMOS trial and chief of the Division of Preventive Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Manson is also professor of medicine and holds the title of the Michael and Lee Bell Professor of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School. She's one of the country's leading epidemiologists. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Joanne Manson. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Dr. Manson, we're so happy to talk to you again, and we are especially interested in a study that you and your team have recently completed called COSMOS. First of all, what does COSMOS stand for, and can you tell us a little bit about the trial? So COSMOS stands for the Cocoa Supplement and Multivitamin Outcome Study. It's a large-scale randomized trial of more than 21,000 U.S. men and women looking at the health effects of cocoa flavanols and multivitamins in the prevention of cardiovascular disease in cancer. And we tested these supplements over a period of 3.6 years looking at these health outcomes, and we now have the results. Wow. I mean, this is like as good as it gets. This is the gold standard. And, and this is the kind of trial that a pharmaceutical company would undertake if they were developing a new cholesterol-lowering medicine or a blood pressure pill. It's actually bigger than a drug trial, isn't it, Joe? It, 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 it is. It, this is just fabulous. A in fact, Terry even participated in this trial. Yes. Thank you so much, Terry. <laughs> My pleasure. And you were saying that the trial was randomized, so we participants did not know whether we were getting either the active cocoa extract or a placebo. That's right. And we did not know, although this is a little easier to figure out, whether we were getting the active multivitamin or a placebo. That's right. It was supposed to be totally blinded. I hope you didn't know until the very end. <laughs> I, I was able to figure out that I was actually getting the multivitamin supplement. Uh, it, taking riboflavin changes the color of your urine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, I did not know which uh, cocoa extract I was getting. And it turned out at the end of the study, you notified all of us as to what we had been getting. And I found out I was on the cocoa placebo. You were on the placebo. Yes. But do tell us, please, what difference these supplements made for people's lives. So for the cocoa extract or cocoa flavanols, we found some very promising signals that there were benefits for cardiovascular disease. For our primary endpoint, which was a composite, a combination of a large number of cardiovascular outcomes, including heart disease, stroke, coronary bypass surgery, angina, that very large, broad endpoint, we saw a 10%, but not statistically significant reduction. But when we looked at some of the more rigorous endpoints, such as cardiovascular death, we did see a significant 27% reduction. And overall, for the, um, the harder endpoints, what, what we say, the more rigorous endpoints, we, we did see a clear pattern of risk reduction. So that would be people had fewer heart attacks or fewer strokes? So there were fewer cardiovascular deaths, deaths from heart disease, stroke, other forms of cardiovascular disease, and it's a very hard endpoint. And then there were signals uh, for reduction in heart attack and stroke, but those results were not individually statistically significant. I think it's pretty important to reduce your risk of death from cardiovascular causes. So we were very excited to see that. Now, 
you listed that as a, quote, secondary endpoint. What the heck does that mean? So with randomized clinical trials, you need to state upfront what your primary goal is. And so the primary goal was to look at this combination endpoint that included all forms of heart, of heart disease, as well as stroke, as well as cardiovascular death. Also included some procedures such as coronary bypass surgery, angioplasty, revascularization surgery involving the legs. So it was a very broad endpoint. And that's where we saw the 10% reduction that was not statistically significant. But again, when we looked at the more rigorous endpoints, we did see a clearer uh, pattern of benefit. And that clear pattern of benefit, I mean, that's about what we see with some very commonly prescribed drugs. I mean, 29%, that's pretty impressive. Well, it was 27% for cardiovascular mortality. However, because our primary endpoint wasn't reduced, we still feel that we need to be cautious in terms of public health recommendations that we're not quite ready to tell the entire world to start taking supplements of cocoflavanols, but rather we think another trial is needed to try to replicate these findings. And we're excited about uh, potentially being able to participate in such a trial, because I think if there is replication and another trial also can confirm these very promising results, then that might be time to actually have clinical guidelines to uh, encourage taking a supplement. In the meantime, there are ways to increase flavanol intake through the diet. There are some plant-based foods that are high in flavanols, and these include tea and grapes and berries and other fruits. So we, we certainly think there's lots of evidence for increasing dietary intake of flavanols in the meantime. And certainly if someone really wants to take an over-the-counter uh, cocoflavanol supplement, we think that's, that's fine. But we're not making a public health recommendation at this point for everyone to begin taking the flavanols. We feel that this was the very first large-scale randomized trial of cocoflavanol supplements. The results were, were promising. Now we want to see if those promising signals can be replicated and reproduced. If so, then we hope that professional societies and the various professional organizations that make guidelines about preventing cardiovascular disease might encourage the use of these supplements. Dr. Manson, our listeners always like to know about side effects. Uh, you know, when we talk about statins, for example, we ask the investigators, well, were there any adverse reactions associated with the, the medication that you were testing? What about cocoflavanols and the vitamin supplement? Were there any problems? So these supplements were very safe and well-tolerated over the average of 3.6 years of treatment. And for the cocoflavanols, in a small percentage of the participants, there was a, a little increase in um, nausea and stomach discomfort, but that was short term. And we discovered that that was very likely related to not taking the supplements with food, which had been recommended. So uh, except for that, 
there really were not any appreciable side effects. We saw some benefits such as, you know, beyond our primary and, and secondary endpoints. We also saw that there was a lower risk of having headaches, including migraine headaches, and a lower risk of having flu-like symptoms uh, with the cocoflavanol. So we thought that that was interesting. We actually want to pursue that further to have a better understanding of those findings. With the multivitamins, there was there was very safe, and in a previous long-term trial of multivitamins, really hadn't been any significant side effects. We did see a slight increase in a bleeding, which um, again we've not seen in other trials of multivitamins, but overall very safe and well tolerated. How could people follow up if they wanted to? On the findings that you have, how do you add cocoa supplements or multivitamins? Which ones would you choose? Well, the trial tested certain products. So we tested 500 milligrams of cocoa flavanols, which can be found in a product called Cocovia. Uh, Cardio Health uh, has that amount of cocoflavanols. You know, again, we're not telling everyone in the world to go out and, and take the products until we have further confirmation. But um, certainly if someone wanted to follow up, they could do that. And for the multivitamins, we tested a Centrum Silver for adults, uh, which is the, you know, it's over the counter. It's not specifically for men or women because we had both men and women in the trial. And therefore it was the overall for um, the, the formulation that is for adults overall, but it's Centrum Silver. You're listening to Dr. Joanne Manson, Principal Investigator of the Cosmos Trial. She's chief of the Division of Preventive Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Manson is also professor of medicine and holds the title of the Michael and Lee Bell Professor of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School. After the break, we'll find out why scientists thought cocoflavanols might have cardiovascular benefits. Anything that can keep your blood vessels more flexible seems like a good idea. How did Cosmos differ from earlier trials on cocoflavanols? Some health professionals doubt the benefits of dietary supplements. How does Dr. Manson respond? We'll also find out about the vital study on vitamin D and how it affects autoimmune disorders. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible by Cocovia, now introducing memory and focus. This new brain health supplement is a unique blend of plant-based ingredients made with Cocoa Pro Plus proprietary botanical blend, clinically proven lutein, and naturally sourced caffeine. It's specially designed to keep you focused, boost memory, and support brain function with a single capsule daily. Learn more at Cocovia.com. That's Cocovia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, Introducing a new product called Memory and Focus, 
More information at CocoVIA.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at Gaia Herbs, G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Today, we're finding out about the health benefits of cocoflavanols. Our guest is Dr. Joanne Manson. She's the principal investigator of the Cosmos Trial and chief of the Division of Preventive Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Manson is also a professor of medicine and the Michael and Lee Bell Professor of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Manson... As a pharmacologist, I love mechanisms of action. How does something work to accomplish some kind of goal? And so I'm beginning to wonder, do you have any hypotheses or suggestions as to why cocoflavanols might have a cardiovascular benefit? Well, there have been some previous small-scale, short-term randomized clinical trials. This is the first really large-scale randomized clinical trial looking at clinical events such as heart attacks, strokes, deaths uh, from cardiovascular disease. But some earlier trials had suggested mechanisms that made us very excited and enthusiastic about testing the cocoflavanols further for reduction in clinical events. Now, those trials looked at blood pressure lowering and effects on dilating the blood vessels. So the main mechanisms that have been really well established include a lowering of blood pressure, not a large lowering, but you know, a small lowering uh, of a magnitude that has been linked to some protection against cardiovascular disease. And also dilating the blood vessels, making them more compliant, more elastic, more able to uh, dilate. And also there's some evidence that the cocoflavanols may have an anti-inflammatory effect. So they may decrease inflammation. Those are the main mechanisms that have been studied. So those are pretty important. Uh, The idea of having blood vessels be more flexible uh, is is central uh, for you know folks as they're getting older and beginning to develop atherosclerosis. The idea that um, flexible blood vessels may be less likely to lead to hypertension, may be less likely to respond with a blood clot. So it seems like these are mechanisms that would be desirable. Yes, and that's exactly why. We were excited to test the cocoflavanols in prevention of cardiovascular events because the findings in the small-scale mechanistic randomized trials were very promising and suggestive that there, there might be benefits for clinical events as well. Dr. Manson, two questions. How does Cosmos differ from previous clinical trials of flavanols, if there have been any, And the second question, how will a future trial differ from COSMOS? So COSMOS is the first large-scale randomized clinical trial of the cocoflavanols in prevention of cardiovascular events. Other trials have been very small, 
we're talking about 100 participants, sometimes a little more than that, but the Cosmos trial was 21,000 participants. So there, there hasn't been a previous trial of this size or long duration, 3.6 years, looking at the clinical events. There have been these, these small-scale trials. There also have been trials of um, high cacao chocolate which we think is quite different. You know, chocolate is a wonderful treat, but we don't really think of it as a health food in terms of the delivery of cocoflavanols, because even if a chocolate is high cacao, it doesn't have necessarily a reliable amount of cocoflavanols. And that's why you don't really see in the ingredient list, you don't see a certain amount of cocoflavanols listed because it can be variable. It can depend on the processing of the chocolate. And sometimes uh, the, the cocoflavanols can be destroyed during the, the processing and the harvesting um, of the, um, you know, the cocoa bean. And so we, we don't really consider this a chocolate trial. We consider it a trial of the cocoa bean extract where the, there is a process in place to preserve the cocoflavanols. We know the content has been very, you know, rigorously studied that it's, it's preserved um, in the processing and, you know, as it's extracted from the cocoa bean. So we're testing a very specific amount, 500 milligrams a day, and it's different from chocolate trials. So overall, this is the first, and there's really no other trial that's been done that's uh, of the cocoflavanols in this amount, this larger trial, and for this duration. Now, how would your future trial differ from Cosmos? So the future trial would differ in several ways. First, um, instead of this very broad endpoint that included angina and um, bypass surgery and arterial, various forms of arterial surgery, we would plan to base the trial on a very rigorous endpoint of just heart attack, stroke, and cardiovascular death. That's number one. We also would um, have a higher risk population. A larger percentage of the population that we would be testing would have risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Uh, so those would be the two big changes that we would make. But it's also, even if we tested exactly the same, I mean, we would test pretty much the same intervention. We're, we're thinking 500 milligrams a day again. But even if we did the same study population and the same endpoint, we would want to see this in a second trial and not rely on just a single trial in order to make public health recommendations. Here again, of course, drug trials usually require two or three before you make a decision about whether or not the drug actually is working. So That's right. Usually it's more than a single trial, although not always, but uh, usually. Dr. Manson, you are renowned for supervising, overseeing, managing clinical trials of this magnitude, huge, well-controlled, you know, gold standard trials that include what we'll call dietary supplements or nutritional supplements. You've looked at vitamin D, you've looked at multivitamins, 
And I'm thinking now about a trial that you did recently called VITAL, V-I-T-A-L. And it's also one of these amazing clinical trials. And one of the results that was incredible, you know, from my perspective, was this kind of supplementation was shown to reduce the risk of autoimmune disorders. Yes. Now, autoimmune disorders can be incredibly disruptive to people's lives. Um, You know, we're talking about psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. We're talking about, you know, conditions that are very hard to treat. Can you give us a quick overview of the VITAL trial and why the results were so impressive? Yes, um, we recently reported those results in the British Medical Journal, and we were very excited that vitamin D 2000 IUs a day that had been tested also for cancer and and cardiovascular disease, we had seen a signal there for a reduction in cancer death with that amount of vitamin D, but it showed overall about a 22% reduction in autoimmune diseases. And that was a statistically significant reduction. This includes conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, as you're saying, a broad range of autoimmune disorders. When we looked at those who were in the trial for longer periods of time, you know, say they stayed in the trial for at least two years, the results were even stronger, you know, getting more toward a a 30 to 40 percent reduction in risk of autoimmune disorders. So vitamin D looked very promising for reducing autoimmune diseases. And in fact, there is evidence that vitamin D affects the immune system, that it can decrease inflammation and modulate the immune response. We also saw a suggestion, but this was not statistically significant, that the omega-3s, the omega-3, you know, fish oil was linked to a lower risk of autoimmune diseases. But again, it was not as uh, strong an effect as for the vitamin D. But we we plan to pursue this further, continue the follow-up of the participants, because it can take a while for autoimmune diseases to develop. And there may be a a long-term effect of having been on a vitamin D and omega-3s for an average of 5.6 years. You know, the, the trial was many years long. So we hope to continue to follow the participants long-term. And also, this is another area where we're interested in doing a follow-up trial to see if the results can be replicated. We, we, we would like to study an even younger population because autoimmune diseases often develop in early and middle adulthood. And the vital study population, they were all, all the participants were above the age of 50. So we're interested in studying people in, in young adulthood and a little before age 50 as, as well um, to see if the results might be even stronger. Dr. Manson, what I love about your work is that you approach all of these questions with a great deal of objectivity. You know, let the data speak for the data. You know, don't come Mm -hmm. with preconceived notions. Let's see what the results show. And and these are large, well-conducted, well-thought-out, long-term studies. And 
the results are always fascinating, whether they're positive or negative. I mean, they always provide us with great insights. But you do have colleagues who basically believe, well, if it's not a drug, it doesn't count. Yes. Or, you know, oh, nutritional supplements, you don't need vitamins. You don't need minerals. You don't need fish oil. I mean, that stuff is is hocus pocus. We don't believe in it unless it was conducted by a, a big pharmaceutical manufacturer. H- how do you respond to them when you say, but but we did a great clinical trial, and here are the results. Let's let's take them at face value. Yes. I mean, this. I, I think the real concern about dietary supplements is so often that health claims are made without the rigorous research. And so we do think that there are biological mechanisms that ha- have already been, been studied. Any dietary supplement that we bother to test in a really large-scale randomized trial has shown some promising results in smaller-scale randomized trials or very, very promising results in the observational studies, not, not the randomized trial. So we wouldn't just take a dietary supplement that didn't already have some promising evidence for benefit. But what we try to do is first make sure it's a very high quality supplement. We test the quality, make sure that it has the content that it claims to have. Uh, This is a real issue with dietary supplements that often what you get is not what's listed on the label. So we have very detailed quality assurance studies for all the supplements we test. And then we do these rigorous trials that are quite similar to the pharmaceutical trials. If anything, these dietary supplements, if high quality, would be expected to be somewhat safer um, than pharmaceuticals, though there are many safe uh, pharmaceuticals. But if you can demonstrate a benefit, then the benefit-risk ratio is likely to be quite good. So that's what makes it exciting. And I think that even some of the supplements that previously hadn't shown benefits, we're, we're seeing we're seeing some signs that they are of benefit. For example, for multivitamins, although we did not see benefits for cardiovascular disease or cancer, we did see in an ancillary study looking at cognition that the multivitamins were associated with slowing of cognitive decline and cognitive aging. And this was in a collaboration we had with Wake Forest, where they did detailed cognitive assessments over three years. And, you know, we, we, we found with the multivitamins that there was the, the signal for a slowing of cognitive decline in the multivitamin group compared to the placebo group. And this is now something again, that we want to follow up on with another trial, this time looking at a very diverse study population. You know, we want to take people of all educational levels, of all socioeconomic levels, of more, you know, very diverse racial, ethnic backgrounds. And we want to see if the multivitamins can slow cognitive decline, cognitive aging, in a, a broader population. So that's a follow-up 
a study that we would like to do there. But some uh, some previous trials that have looked at these supplements, they may not have um, had as detailed assessments, uh, something like cognition, So, the, or they may not even have looked at cognition. So I, I do think that these uh, dietary supplements can have very important effects. We already know, for example, in women who are considering a pregnancy, who are planning to conceive, and certainly during the pregnancy itself, it's really important to take folic acid, folic acid supplement, and to take a prenatal uh, vitamin. And there, there are many benefits um, of different supplements, dietary supplements, vitamins, minerals, and other supplements. But there is no supplement that with a one-size-fits-all approach would be routinely recommended for absolutely everyone in the population. It's usually only special targeted groups, those like during a pregnancy, during infancy, in older age groups where calcium, vitamin D, B12 supplements uh, may be indicated. And now we're seeing these promising results for a multivitamin in multivitamins and cognition in an older population, mostly above the age of 65. So I do think it's really important to consider that it may be only subgroups of the population that will benefit, either depending on their risk factors or their underlying um, nutritional status. And we shouldn't be expecting one-size-fits-all results with any of these uh, trials. Dr. Joanne Manson, Thank you so much for talking with us today about the Cosmos trial, the vital trial, and all your research. We appreciate it. It's been great to be here. Thank you, Terry and Joe. You've been listening to Dr. Joanne Manson, Principal Investigator of the Cosmos trial. She's Chief of the Division of Preventive Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Manson is also Professor of Medicine and holds the title of the Michael and Lee Bell Professor of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School. She's Professor of Epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. After the break, we'll learn about the relationship between cocoa and chocolate. We'll take a deep dive into the history of cacao. What differences are there in the health effects of chocolate and cocoa flavanols? What other foods have beneficial flavanols? Coffee, tea, grape juice, cranberry juice? Are cocoa flavanols good for the brain as well as the heart? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs dot com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, introducing its new memory and focus product, 
More information at CocoVia.com. Also by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia, that's G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Do you love chocolate as much as we do? Today, we're exploring whether the characteristic phytochemicals from cacao have health benefits. Earlier, we spoke with Dr. Joanne Manson about the Cosmos trial of cocoflavanols. Mars Edge provided the cocoflavanols for the Cosmos trial. Their subsidiary, Cocovia, has been underwriting the People's Pharmacy for years. We want you to know that underwriting is totally independent of editorial decisions. We turn now to Dr. Joe Vinson. He's an emeritus professor of chemistry at the University of Scranton, best known for his work with chocolate, tea, coffee, and grape juice. His current research interests include the effects of foods, vitamins, and antioxidants on nutrition and health. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Joe Vinson. Well, I'm glad to be back. It's, what, 2007, so I'm going to tell you what's happened in the last 15 years. That sounds good. Well, fantastic. Uh, Dr. Vinson, we just talked with Dr. Joanne Manson about the COSMOS trial, which was a large randomized controlled trial involving cocoflavanols and heart health. And I'm just wondering, because you've done a lot of research on chocolate, what is the relationship between cocoa and chocolate, please? Well, cocoa is the, is the raw material from which they make chocolate. And cocoa, as used, is extracted. They separate the cocoa butter from the rest of the material. And then to make chocolate as we consume, they, they put them back together in different combinations and add things. So cocoa is, is the raw material, if you like, and chocolate is, is what we consume. Dr. Vincent, can you give us just a little bit of an idea of the history of cocoa? When did people sort of start paying attention? Yeah, the history goes goes back quite a ways. And in the last five years, they push it back even further into, into BC. And it started in, in Central America and it moved elsewhere and that that movement was pretty slow but that that's when it started and it was used by the royal family in rights and then the Europeans stole the recipe and then it got into Europe and it was held in Spain for a while by the royal family and then stolen again the secrets of how to make chocolate by uh, England and then it spread to the rest of Europe it sounds like royal families have had a pretty um, pretty big thing for chocolate. Yeah, they, they had the monopoly. Now, if we go back to Latin America, what folks were using, the indigenous people were using as cocoa slash chocolate was quite different from what became very popular in Europe. Can you tell us the difference, please? Well, certainly the big biggest difference was initially it was only drunk and there was no sugar added. And if you saw the recipe, you'd be horrified to think that you could possibly drink this stuff. So, so the Europeans 
smartly at least for them, put some sugar in it, and then it became very popular. But the original stuff was very, very bitter. And as to the health effects, that was determined by going to Central America. Back in 1997, a Harvard group went back there, and they found out that the people that lived on this island, their sole consumption of liquids was was chocolate. And normally in civilized countries, the blood pressure goes up with age. Well, it just didn't in this group of Indians on, on this island off the coast of Panama. And that started, you know, the interest in the health effects of chocolate. And, and when you say they were consuming chocolate as a beverage, it, you really mean cocoa rather than um, yes. highly cocoa sweet chocolate. Cocoa is a beverage. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the health effects of uh, chocolate, of cocoa flavanols, please. Uh, you've studied chocolate and tea and coffee and grape juice and cranberry juice. Is there a common denominator? Yes, there's a common denominator to all of them. They all come from plants, and plants are different from animals because they're subjected to more strenuous conditions, both climate and insects, and they've developed mechanisms to try to counter those stresses, and those mechanisms are manufactured by the plant, not by animals, and they're they're known as polyphenols or flavonoids flavonoids, most commonly to the lay person. And they're in high concentration in the plant. Some plants have more than others. And they're bitter, and they are very healthy. There is no indication from any studies that anybody has ever done that they're toxic to, to humans, that they have any negative, truly negative toxicity effects. And Dr. Vincent, how did you get interested in studying these plant compounds, and in particular, chocolate? I mean, this is not a path to a lot of success in an academic career, because I have to be honest, most health professionals still to this day kind of look at chocolate and cocoa as, um, you know, as a sweet treat not something that could have health benefits. I mean, why why would Dr. Joe Vincent get so intrigued with these compounds and, and the idea of chocolate as possible health food? Well, my initial studies with respect to health had to do with vitamins and minerals. And I did a lot of work with vitamin C and E and beta carotene. And these three compounds uh, made, made by plants are antioxidants in a test tube, and they're antioxidants in people and any, anybody that consumes them. So I, I measured a bunch of antioxidants in, in the normal diet, and then after vegetables and fruits, I said, well, I like chocolate. Let's see what the story is on chocolate. So I I got some chocolate, which was blinded in terms of where it came from, who made it. You know, they were bars. And I, I had my students analyze for, for these polyphenol antioxidants in chocolate, and they were very high. We found that there was the most uh, 
of these compounds were in cocoa powder, and then dark chocolate was second, and then white uh, milk chocolate was third, and then white chocolate has almost none of these antioxidants. So if we're looking for cocoa flavanols for the polyphenols for their health benefits, then we should really go for the cocoa powder or the dark chocolate. That's right. And if you're going to consume cocoa powder, then you need to look for non-dutched. The Dutch process removes... Tell us why. Because it removes polyphenols. So it'll say on the label, if you look carefully, of the cocoa powder. And then the idea is not to buy these chocolate, uh, hot chocolate, packets with the milk and the sugar already in, make your own, put in, if you're worried about sugar, some artificial sweetener. And there's a big difference between the already made add water or milk versus make it yourself. And the level of cocoa flavanols varies quite considerably depending on how that cocoa is is created, how the powder is made. Yeah. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the health benefits. You, you mentioned about the island off Panama and the blood pressure of the native peoples. I'm wondering what other benefits are there from cocoa flavanols uh, whether it's cardiovascular or whether it's cognitive or anything else for that matter? Well, I looked at what's happened since 2007 when you interviewed me before, and a lot has happened. There's been a lot of interventional studies, such as the Cosmos study, uh, over those years, and I kind of broke it down into different uh, aspect, different health aspects. On the, on the, uh, on the health side, it doesn't matter where these studies have come from, these interventional studies, which are much better than epidemiology studies in terms of finding out if chocolate's good for you. These uh, intervention studies have been put together to make what is called a meta-analysis. The, the data has been combined to get as if you did a big, big, big study and Bunch, instead of a bunch of small studies. And it shows no matter where you're doing this, no matter what kind of chocolate you're talking about, that the uh, the more polyphenols in the chocolate, the better are the health benefits. And the blood pressure goes down, the bad cholesterol goes down, the good cholesterol goes up, triglycerides go down. And this is true normal people uh, and people who have health problems. So that, that's, a, that's a very good thing because they all have to do with the heart. Right. You're talking cardiovascular benefit, right? Right. What else? And the other thing, uh, it's kind of a little more obscure, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a health risk, and that's the endothelial function. When you have high blood pressure, when you have heart failure, when you're older, when you smoke, Basically, your arteries become less, less flexible. And when you have a stress, such as eating the fat and sugar or going out and shoveling snow or doing heavy exercise, then you have a greater risk of heart disease because the blood pressure goes up, but the vessel, the, the aorta, doesn't expand like a normal person does. 
they're kind of uh, stiff. They don't open up like they should, because when the blood pressure goes up, you need to open up the vessel. And, and so that particular aspect has also been measured in quite a few studies. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're a normal person or whether you have some of these, these health problems that I mentioned, the chocolate improves it. It makes your arteries more flexible. That's a good thing. Dr. Vinson, we frequently hear that what's good for the heart is also good for the brain. Is there evidence that that's true of cocoa polyphenols as well? There's less of that, I have to say, because the brain is is much more complex. I mean, the heart, after all, is just a big pump. But yes, there there are some studies, both epidemiology and intervention, that it started out in 2007 with an epidemiology study, which found in multiple countries in Europe, South and North Europe, that the more polyphenols you consumed, the better you were at, at this standard exam. Your scores on these go down with age, unfortunately. And if you consume a lot of polyphenols, including chocolate, uh, then they don't go down so fast. And, and this is, uh, this is because we think that chocolate improves the blood flow to the brain. Then there's been interventional studies which show even in healthy subjects, young subjects, that your memory is improved, your scores on, uh, on a bunch of different cognitive tests improve, and the people that are most affected are the elderly and the people that have some of these, some of these diseases, but it's good for all of us, even, even normal people chocolate consumption. What about the downsides, Dr. Vincent? I mean, when I've traveled to a hotel and they leave chocolate on the pillow at night and, you know, sometimes you just can't resist. I find that sometimes I have a harder time falling asleep or staying asleep. There are other people who complain about migraines associated with chocolate. Um, Just out of curiosity, are there downsides? Yes, there are always a downside. But the, the worst downside is, of course, the weight gain that can happen if you eat a lot of chocolate. But all of these studies show that if you eat a lot of polyphenols in your chocolate, then, then it won't be so bad. But there is, a, there is a weight gain if you consume a lot of chocolate. The idea is to replace something else in your diet with chocolate. It has fat and sugar. Yes, it does. The darker stuff has less fat, I mean, less sugar, excuse me, uh, more fat, but less sugar. But the darker stuff has more polyphenols. And we've done a study where we took a bunch of chocolate bars and we found that you can pretty much use the percent cocoa solids as an indication of the relative amounts of chocolate. So if you if you can consume 70% chocolate, it's not too bitter for you, you're getting twice as many polyphenols as 35%, which is pretty much the extreme high of milk chocolate. Uh, so Dr. Vinson, how much chocolate would a person eat to get a benefit? Well, how much chocolate? is up to the individual and how it affects them. But I can say that I take a small amount of chocolate every day, dark chocolate. It's 70 to 85%. And I haven't gained any weight. 
uh, as a result of that, and I do it regularly. But you basically want to look for as high a, a cocoa solids if you're going to take a bar as you can take, because it's very bitter when it gets high in polyphenols. And how much do you consume? How much do I consume? I probably consume about two or three of these Hershey Kisses equivalent. Not much. And by the way, that small amount has been shown in people who were mildly hypertensive to lower their blood pressure. So I don't take a lot. I get polyphenols from fruits and vegetables, the different kind of polyphenol, different variety of polyphenols in fruits and vegetables. But it, I think it's a great snack compared to the other things that you might take. I totally agree. Dr. Joe Vinson, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for all the questions. And enjoy your chocolate. I will. You've been listening to Dr. Joe Vinson, an emeritus professor of chemistry at the University of Scranton. He's best known for his work with chocolate, tea, coffee, grape juice, and cranberry juice. His current research interests include the effects of foods, vitamins, and antioxidants on nutrition and health. Dr. Vinson is an editor for the Foods Journal. We spoke earlier with Dr. Joanne Manson. She's the principal investigator for the COSMOS trial and chief of the Division of Preventive Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Manson is also professor of medicine and the Michael and Lee Bell Professor of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, introducing its new memory and focus product. More information at cocovia.com. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wodarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. Today's show is number 1,307. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can post your comments to let us know what you think about today's interview. You can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.